It's the Benz Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this Copy sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea we are go sipping yo Hard time scrolling for your long shorts You might learn something you never know Collect you find, and she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind Hello it is me, Kalechi. Yeah, baby. Thank you. Thank you. My mixtape will be coming out soon. It will be called Theresa May's A Pussy Club. Thank you all. <laughs> Happy New Week. Um, yeah. Hi. Welcome to SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What? Yes. Suck your mum. So, um, yeah, um, I'm obviously Kalechi Okafor and I'm very glad to be here. And I truly mean that this week. I say that all of the time, but I mean that this week because before I came here, I went to my mum's and I ate amala with wegiri and iwedu and stew. And if you don't know what that is because you're not Nigerian or you're not Yoruba, just know that I took in a lot of carbs. And now I just, I feel so sleepy. I've got the itis, as some people would say. So yeah, but um, it was a glorious meal and it was a glorious meal to have at my mum's. Like only my mum can make food like that. The really, you know, like when parents cook and it really like feeds your soul, not just like your stomach. I really appreciate that. I feel rejuvenated almost. That's a blatant lie because I'm still extremely tired. And also shout out to everyone who's like messaged me about me saying I'm tired and stuff and you've suggested things and offered to help in numerous ways. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, my partner said to me earlier, how are you feeling? I said, tired. He said, how are you feeling mentally? I said, tired. Like, honestly, I'm just the ball of tiredness, but that's because I'm doing so, so many things. But like I keep saying, come April, um, I'm just not going to, do a lot of stuff. Like I've already started declining, you know, panel discussions and all of these things ahead of time, because I need that space for myself to just not burn out. And it's not like a, a, a stretch of a week or anything. I just, just a few days here and there where I just do nothing. You know, when I look at my calendar now, all I see is dot, 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 dot. Every day is a dot. And it actually makes me so apprehensive because I'm like, rah, I've got a commitment on every single day of the week. And that is stressful. And usually it's more than one commitment on that day as well, like at least three. And they're not usually in the same place either. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of work, but, um, uh, week just gone last week. I was in Bristol for, at UE, um, business school, Bristol business school talking, um, you know, university of West England, is it? Yeah. I was talking to them about branding and social media for young, uh, young African entrepreneurs. And that was really fun. I felt like a baby girl. Like, talking about all of these things and saying how I did this and how I did that. And, you know, when I was talking about all those things, I actually thought to myself, I need to check myself because we have, we have endless panel discussions and endless bits telling people how to do this and how to do that. But you can explain strategy to people all you want, but we should never forget one thing. And this is, if you're an atheist, like, you know, big up yourself, do what you're doing. But for me, ultimately, I believe that I could not have achieved any of these things, regardless of strategy, without the mercy of God. So I feel like it's important when you're doing panel discussions or you're doing all of these talks with people to also remind them that, 
God plays a major role. Like, yeah, God helps those who help themselves or who help themselves. But, you know, God plays an intrinsic role. And to detract God from your equation is going to leave you with what? Incorrect answers. Why did you feel that? <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, yeah, that was nice. And that was an, that was a high. One of the lows of this week was the fact that um, I didn't get shortlisted for the African Poetry Prize. Some people don't know that I write poetry and I try to keep it on the on the low. I've been writing poetry for years and years and years and years, like years. And that's why I love poetry so much, like reading other people's poetry and bigging it up because there is such a craft and skill to just writing that I think is is wonderful and I don't know. I just feel like I wrote on Instagram last week when I shared a poem that I'd written about my mum for Mother's Day. Um, it was part of the 10 poems that I submitted to the African Poetry Pri- uh, Prize. Um, I wrote beforehand that sharing your poetry is a bit like, I don't know, like exposing your pussy to the entire world. Like as much as like you might love your pussy and you 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 are glad that you have one, Um suddenly when you have to show it to a room full of people, it just feels a bit weird or show it to the entire world. It just feels a bit weird to me, unless like you're a porn star and you maybe like doing that and it's part of your job description. But for me, it's not part of my job description. So it feels a bit weird. So, um, yeah, I shared that poem, um, that I wrote for my mom and I got it written out, um, and by word to your mother, thank you, word to your mother. She uh, did the calligraphy and stuff and I framed it and I gave it to my mum for Mother's Day and that was wonderful. But um, there was a lesson for me to learn in not being shortlisted for the prize in that um, Kelechi, not everyday excellence. In that set, in, not in like, my, I believe that my poems are great. Like I, they are a true reflection of me and my experiences. And just because someone or a group of people have said, mm, it doesn't really suit our theme or what we're doing for this competition doesn't stop it being great. But at the same time, I'm one of those people where um, people used to refer to me as overachiever in secondary school. I'm one of those people that I don't play unless I'm going to win. That I don't, I'm not one of those people who believe in it's, um, you know, it's the thought that counts or at least you participated. Motherfucker, I didn't come to participate in anything. I came to win the motherfucking thing. So it's a humbling experience to understand that I'm not going to win everything, but that doesn't stop the body of work that I've produced being any less valuable. And so that goes out to everyone as well. Like, just because it hasn't been stamped with a mark of approval by others doesn't stop it being valid. So on that note, um, I thought I'd share one of the poems that I wrote for the prize. And one of them was called, why am I in my calendar? See, it's automatic. I open my phone and I go to calendar. The poem was called Brutal Honesty. And it goes, I never trust much the people who claim to be brutally honest. For me, there is no brutality in honesty. Granted, Honesty bears its own thorns that at times prick with discomfort. But the claws you have fashioned upon said honesty to stroke your own ego will one day tear you apart. The end. That was my poem. So that was a short one. And I have others that I've written like 
it's it's just a themed thing but um yeah that was one of them and I like that one so I thought I'd read it to you because I've always had a problem with people saying oh I'm just brutally honest and I don't that you don't need honesty is brutal on its own we don't need you to add extra brutality to it it's not by force so um yeah that was just one of them and I hope you like it um Oh, and I finished reading Black Ass by Egoni Barrett um, because I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago that, oh, I'm I'm reading this book and I'm really, mm, I'm really sorry to report that I didn't really enjoy it. I I rarely dislike protagonists the way that I disliked Furo in that book. Like, I just didn't, I don't know whether it's because he had changed into a white person or a white man. And he was, I don't know what it was. Like I understood what the book was trying to do by showing us starkly the privilege that white people are given in Nigeria. And maybe sometimes the disdain and resentment that they fail to pick up on because of the privileges that they're afforded in Nigeria. And those bits were there, but I just, I just felt like it was all so rushed and, we didn't need certain first person narratives coming in. It was just a bit wild. I didn't really, yeah, um, I didn't, nah, sorry. I mean, some of you might read it and be like, boom, that was lit. It was fire. But for me personally, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Sorry, Goni, you know, if you ever hear this by any chance. I mean, again, you know, you don't need my stamp of approval for your work to be valid. I just didn't enjoy it. So it is what it is. Um, but the next book that I'm moving on to is by Yomi Adegoke and Elizabeth Uvier Binene, um, which is called Slay in Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible. That's the book that I'm moving on to now. It was uh, sent to me uh, by HarperCollins, the publishers, and I was so glad to receive it because I was going to buy it. So when they send it, I was like, "Why? this is great. Um and I'm so excited because I've been thinking of titles for my book that nobody has, nobody has asked me to produce this book, you know, in terms of a publishing house, but I'm fasting myself up to already start thinking of titles and whatnot. Um, so I love the title Slaying Your Lane and the, um, the Black Girl Bible is wonderful. I just happened to open up on a random page and I like that it says, Take, for example, a friend of mine who works in a company where she's the only black woman. She was asked to give an office tour to a potential new recruit who was there for an interview, a young black girl. It was clear that the girl was bubbly, full of personality, had life in her. But my friend said that as she was showing her around, she remembered thinking they're not going to give her the job. She has too much life for this place. Knowing that my friend is someone who's also full of personality, I asked what was the difference between the two of them. And she replied, they'll definitely say she's a little intense. White people are allowed to have big personalities and be kooky in these environments. But as a black woman, you have to tone yourself down. As the only black woman in the office, I've given them the most toned down version of myself. She did, in fairness, say that she wasn't present at the other woman's interview. So she didn't know how she performed. But long story short, she remains the only black woman in the firm. So already this book is giving me life and I can't wait to like dive into it. But um yeah, big up yourselves, Yomi and Elizabeth. Like you're also my share of your magnificence for this week because I love that black women are out here like really writing these wonderful pieces of literature and really doing bits. Like we need to document our own experiences because people need to know how we felt at this particular moment in time. So this is wonderful. Thank you for that. I'm really excited to read it. Anyway, let's jump into the tarot then so we're not faffing around and like, 
twiddling our nipples. Don't know where that came from. I'm so sorry. I I I do not twiddle. God, let's move on. <laughs> anyway. So the tarot card I pulled for this week was the Six of Swords. So the Six of Swords, we see a man who has um who's rowing um a boat and we see I feel like it's a mother like a woman shrouded she's covered in a cloak and there's a little boy I imagine beside her and then we've got six swords that are upright in the boat with them and the swords are in front of them like ahead of them um and they are on the boat and it's you know it's moving there's clear it's we can see that there's clear motion and they're off to a distant to a not so distant land ahead of them so whenever I see the Six of Swords, so if we remember that this is one of the minor um, arcana, this is a minor arcanum. Um, so this speaks more to like day-to-day things, not so much massive life events, but more day-to-day stuff. And whenever I see the Six of Swords, I think of travel, you know, not just the fact that, you know, they're um, going by water, but just transition. There's a moment that we're going through a moment of transition. And the fact that the mother is cloaked in the boat always speaks to me as like you're transition you're transitioning from something that hasn't been favorable or pleasurable to something better and you're still going through that transition you haven't reached where you're going yet but where you're going is going to be much calmer because we can see that the river that they're traveling along is very very calm and then the place that they're headed to looks like it's got nice weather everything the sky's clear everything's just set good you know so that's why I like this card. But what's also interesting about this card is you've got to decide possibly who you are in the image because there are three there are three characters. So if you're the person that's like steering the boat, then I imagine that you're taking people along with you, whether you're a manager at your job or you're an owner of a business or you're the kind of parent in a situation, you're taking people forward, or maybe you're the more vocal person in a relationship. You're taking the relationship or the business somewhere and people are going along with you and they they are filled with trepidation. They don't really know where you're going. But the fact that the six of swords is upright says that you have a clear vision that this will benefit all of you in the long run. So don't be worried about the fact that people might not be seeing your view or where you're headed. Just trust in what you have decided to do and go with it. If you're the child in the situation, maybe your parents, no matter how old you are, maybe your parents are making some decisions that still affect you at your big, big age. And you're there thinking like, rah, I don't really have control over this situation. And that's fine. I can say that from this card, it's all going to turn out for the best. Like it's it's going to turn out for the best. Whatever they're deciding, no matter how rigid it might feel or how um kind of uncertain it might feel, it's for it's for the good of everybody. And if you're the woman, I feel like because they could have paid this guy on the boat to take them where they're going. So if you're the woman, if you're in a, um, and you've got a child or whatever, and you're in a situation that you feel like isn't benefiting you or your child and you want to move somewhere better, you're making the right decision. Make that change. Maybe you want to go and move to a new place. You want to, you want to move to a new place or you want to, um, change careers or something like that. Whatever, big change, whatever transition you're trying to make at this moment in time, go for it because it will benefit you and your child or children to do what you're doing and just, you know, get everything in place, find the people who can help the process along and just do it. Um, 
And that's pretty much it. That's what I get from the card. It's usually um, speaking to travel, travel or transition. You're going from one state to another, but you're going from an unfavorable state to a better state. And you're going with everything already sort of planned out, whichever character you're playing, you've, you know, you've got this planned out and it will work out for your own good. And yeah, even when we're doing things, we might feel a bit scared about them, but you know, it works out, you know, it works out and we figure things out in the end. But also something to remember when you look, when I look at this card is that they're traveling from an unfavorable situation is the what I gather. But we need to start being accountable to ourselves. How many unfavorable situations do you want to end up in? So someone was praying for me, a prayer man was praying for me the other day. And he said to me, as much as you face conflict because of the things that you do and the things that you speak out about, make sure that the conflict that you are perceiving isn't the conflict inside yourself that you're projecting outwards. And fam, it's like he dragged my wig, my scarf, my scalp off my skull because it was necessary to hear that. It was necessary because you see so many people go, oh, so many people have broken my heart in the past. It's because I'm so easy. I, you know, I love people so easily. And it's like, fam, no, it just sounds like you don't have any fucking boundaries. Yeah. So have some boundaries and then your people won't break your heart so often. And so this is what I get from this card as well. Like, as much as you're transitioning from this state to another state, also check in with yourself. And how many times have you been doing this? How many times have you had to move from one situation to another situation? I know that life has its ups and downs, but how many of those downs are you actively creating that you could have just avoided by making some smarter decisions? And I remember Oprah saying that sometimes in life, it's not about having, making a massive decision for everything. Sometimes just make the best decision for right now and constantly keep making the best decision for right now. And ultimately that will get you to somewhere favorable. Yeah. So that's what I get from this card. Six of swords, big up yourself, transition, make the transition a smooth one, trust in yourself. But at the same time, be careful that you're not just always transitioning, 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 because you are putting yourselves in situations that you could have just avoided. So that's it for the Six of Swords. Moving on to Magnificence this week. Now, Magnificence this week is sort of somber. Well, it's definitely somber, not even sort of. My first Share Your Magnificence and my major Share Your Magnificence goes out to Marielle Franco. Marielle Franco is, um, or was, was a counsellor in Rio de Janeiro and she was assassinated this week. Um, she was assassinated on the 14th of March. Whew. So yeah, she, Maria Franco, she was a, a Brazilian politician, feminist and human rights activist. And she served as the city councillor of the muni municipal chamber of Rio de Janeiro for the Socialism and Liberty Party. Um, and she started in January two th 2017 until she was assassinated recently. She's also, um, you know, a, a feminist and she, um, I think she was, she identified as a lesbian and they shot her. They shot her while she was in her car leaving a women's empowerment event. And it makes me extremely sad because, oh, it makes me extremely sad because, 
when I say activism isn't sexy, like this is what I mean. There is a price that you pay for speaking out, shaking the table, disrupting the status quo. And sometimes the price you pay is with your life. And Mario Franco has been doing bits in the favelas. Like she, you know, it's so important to me that as much as she was doing, she remained living in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro. Like she stayed living there. So she saw firsthand the poli uh, police brutality and how um, the military uh, militarization of the police just meant that people were executed, basically. Normal civilians, everyday civilians were executed and nobody cares. Like nobody cares. It's not reported because those lives are seen as worthless. And she wanted change, you know, and she was speaking out actively about change. And I guess that her voice became too loud for them. You know, it became too loud for them and they wanted to silence her. But the important thing to remember is that even if you feel like you have silenced a human body, you can never silence a spirit. You can never silence an idea. So Maria Franco continued to rest in power, queen, like you have been doing bits and you have been doing bobs and we respect you. I respect you and honor you as a, a black woman. And I feel like constantly it's queer black women that stay saving all of our lives. We're able to do all of this cis heteronormative bullshit and, 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 and preoccupy ourselves with, did he text me back? Why won't he go down on me? You're thinking about all the trivial things because there are other people out there who are at the forefront, who are at the helm of revolution, you know, revolutionizing the way that we live and the way that society treats us. And, you know, that that's really, really important to me. Like when I first heard about her assassination, I just felt so heavy. And I feel like that's part of the reason why I feel just so tired. It's the same tiredness I felt when I heard about Sandra Bland being killed in America. And I still believe to this day that the mugshot that was taken of her when she was, um, taken, um, detained by the police. I, I still believe till this day that she was dead in that mugshot because the police are trash. They are absolute trash. And watching those videos of Sandra Bland speaking up about, um, social justice and all of those things. And then to see that we were the same age and to just know that she had, she was gone, she was gone. And, and that's it. Like, it blew my mind. And, you know, Marielle Franco, she was 38. She was 38. And I just think, wow, like in your 38 years, you came here and you had a mission and sis, like you accomplished it. The, the work isn't done, but the, the all of the work was not for you to do, you know? So yeah, I just feel like it hits me in a way where you kind of think like, what's the point sometimes? Like, what's the point of speaking out about anything? Because you risk so much. Like, why don't you just stay in a sort of blissful ignorance and just pretend like none of this is happening? But I said that before, I think a few episodes ago, but it's actually, I feel like it's physically impossible. You know, like sometimes when you play that game, when you go underwater or you hold your breath for a long time to see how long you can hold your breath for, that's what it feels, that's what it feels like to me sometimes. Like, I feel like, you know what, I'm not going to say anything about anything. I'm just going to shut my rascal mouth and not speak about anything. And it's almost like I'm suffocating because I just feel like, no, we need to address this. And why aren't we speaking about this? And what 
I speak about and, and everything in no way compares to the massive work that women like Marielle Franco continue to do around the world. Um, and even, you know, Lady Phil that we have over here that started, you know, UK Black Pride and things like that. Like so many things are being done by queer women, queer black women, and they go uncelebrated. And I don't want to give a magnificence out to someone when, when they fucking died, you know, like it's, it's about celebrating people and appreciating them while they're here. But the problem is that we've got ashy Twitter motherfuckers who feel like social justice warrior is an insult. Like for you to want justice in your environment, your immediate and your global environment is now a fucking insult. And so those things bother me where you have to dress it up and make it fancy and make it cute for people. So they, they, they understand the message and they don't just see you as angry and ranting all of the time, but it's deep, man. But Marielle Franco, thank you so much for the work that you have put in into this shit storm of a world and for just doing the best for the people of Brazil in the way that you knew how. Thank you so, so much for that. It's also not a coincidence that the two countries outside of Africa, because Africa is a fucking continent, let's remember that, but the two countries outside of Africa that have the largest black population are also the ones that are spearheading the 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 stats when it comes to police brutality against black people. Brazil has what roughly 56 million black people. America has roughly what 46 million and those are the places where police brutality is horrendous. It is terrible. And that is not and it's not you know it's not a mistake. It's not it's not it's not a coincidence. There there is a there is a strategy and there's a structure at place that continues to denigrate and erase black bodies uh, as it sees fit. And we need to continue to speak out about it and against it in any way that we can. It doesn't mean that, yeah, you have to like jump out and go and stand in front of um, number 10 Downing Street and start shouting your head off. But, you know, even like I said, books like this, Slay in Your Lane, just making sure we document our experience, document the black experience. And, and I'm, and I'm saying black experience because the black experience is not homogenous. We are not a monolith. So you document what blackness means to you, what your Africanness, what your Caribbeanness, what your, what your ness means to you. You document that shit. And so we have it for the future because now we have technology. We can document things in so many other ways, like this podcast, you know, one of the things that they did after they finished their pussyclub colonization and they ended the slave trade was that they burnt all of the documents. So they know what they were doing. They were erasing deliberately a, a specific part of history and denying people their history. We should not deny the future generation their history as convoluted and as fucked as it might be, at least let them have it so they can sort through it and decide the bits that they want to keep. That's how I see it. So thank you, Marielle Franco. Again, appreciate your work. And rest in peace, Sandra Bland, baby girl. Um, and my next Share Your Magnificence goes out to National Geographic. Yeah, National Geographic as in the channel and as in the magazine because they did bits this week. And I appreciate when white people or white publications really check their privilege and um, they address it honestly. So National Geographic have got an issue coming out called the race issue. 
And it says, um, for decades, our coverage was racist. To rise above our past, we must acknowledge it. So it's the editor in chief. Um, what's her name? Her name's gone. She was the one that commissioned, well, you know, she was the one that said, you know, this should go ahead. And she wrote, um, she writes, I'm the 10th editor of National Geographic since its founding in 1888. I'm the first woman and the first Jewish person, a member of two groups that has also once faced discrimination here. It hurts to share the appalling stories from the magazine's past. But when we decided to vote, uh, devote our April magazine to the topic of race, we thought we should examine our own history before turning our reportorial gaze to others. And just that first paragraph I think is wonderful. Before you open your pussy clap mouth to go and check all of the ways in which other people aren't doing what they should be doing, check that you are even doing what you should have been doing. And National Geographic went through their archives and they saw that the ways that they described, um, the aboriginals um the aborigines of um australia they look look they looked at that how they use terms like savage to describe them they looked at the fact that um they covered the um is it Haile Selassie they covered when he became is it uh is it prime minister or president of ethiopia let me just, I can't even Google it now, but they covered that, but they didn't cover anything to do with anything that was happening in America. The civil rights movement, they covered it all from a white gaze, but didn't really want to speak to any black people that were suffering, you know, during, you know, during all the protests and everything, they didn't cover that. Um, they were able to look through and see that they actually didn't ever speak to those who were at the point of suffering and they only ever spoke to white people to speak out for them. There's a, there's a bit where they talk about technology that I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot. Hold on. I'm going to get it from here. Well, this is one thing that they said. How we, re how we present race matters. I heard from readers that National Geographic provided their first look at the world. Our explorers, scientists, photographers and writers have taken people to places they'd never even imagined. It's a tradition that still drives our coverage and of which we're rightly proud. And it means that we have a duty in every story to present accurate and authentic depictions, a duty heightened when we cover fraught issues such as race. So, um... I'm glad that it's just so well written. It's like the editor in chief sat down and she was just like, I'm not going to fuck this up. Let me write this properly. I'm going to give you examples in, um, sh um, shortly of people who don't write things properly and why they end up getting dragged by me on Twitter, but we'll get there. So, um, she, um, this is the guy that they got Colbert. Um, what's his name? No, John Edwin Mason. That's the person that they got from the university of Virginia who specializes in the history of photography and the history of Africa, um, to help them go through their archives and see where they were fucking up. And he said, um, Americans got ideas about the world from Tarzan movies and crude racist caricatures. He said, segregation was the way it was. National geographic wasn't teaching as much as reinforcing messages they already received and doing so in a magazine that had tremendous authority. National Geographic comes into existence at the height of colonialism and the world was divided into the colonizers and the colonized. That was a color, um, a color line and National Geographic was reflecting that view of the world. Um, some of you, what you find in our archives leaves you speechless, like a 1916 story about Australia underneath photos of two Aboriginal people. The caption reads, South Australian blackfellows. These savages rank lowest in intelligence of all human beings. That like National Geographic wrote that shit. Like it was, it was there. And 
it's it's really problematic. Like to read it, I still it angers me. When I look at the excerpts that they've chosen, it really, really angers me that they even got away with writing it. But this was the way that the world was and is. I'm saying was, but it still is, you know, where people, it's normalized for people to talk in a demeaning fashion about blackness and for it to be like, oh, they were just, you know, they were just being a journalist. They were just being a reporter. No, they were just being a dickhead because you should have more common sense than to do that nonsense. But anyway, I will buy that race issue because I'm interested in seeing what's you know, all of the subjects that they managed to cover throughout that, you know, that entire, um, you know, that entire issue. I really, really want to see it. So yeah, that, Share Your Magnificence goes out to them because I like when white people sit down as a construct, sit down and examine the ways in which that they're being oppressive and they look to change it. Because that's really how we impact change by looking at the ways that we're fucking up and addressing it. That's the only way forward. So that's that. Moving on now swiftly to So You Mad. So you mad. So you mad. I've got to think of a jingle for that. That, that, that sounded really crusty. Um, so we are going to, I want to say, Uganda. We're off to Uganda where one of the MPs, he's known as Wansmus Twinamasiko, um, made some comments about not agreeing with what was said um, by Museveni, who's, um, who said, you know, and he said, oh, I don't agree with what was said about the, uh, what was uh, the comment, the statement that was made by, is it their president or their prime minister? Um he said that he didn't agree with what Museveni said. He said, um, because Museveni said that any man who beats a woman is a coward and should face the full wrath of the law. That's what he said. But um, Twinamasiko had different views. He said that, I want to read this word for word. So first he said it in um, Luganda and then he, ch- and then it changed. Then he said it again. Then he re- said it again in the interview. It's like one minute, 45 seconds. Then he said it again in English. And he basically said, as a man, you need to discipline your wife, touch her a bit, tackle her and beat her to streamline her. And so many descriptions there really worry me. Tackle her. Is your wife a rugby player? Even if she is, don't tackle your wife, please. And then he now says, you need to beat her to streamline her. So now my next question is, is your wife a Jaguar? Or is she a Rolls Royce? Like what? Is she a submarine? Why does she need to be streamlined? Is she Usain Bolt? Why does your wife need to be streamlined? What is she traveling through? What kind of air tunnel is your wife traveling to uh, traveling through that she needs to be streamlined it's highly problematic that an mp went and said these things 
and he didn't see a problem with it. And you're then going against your prime minister and being like, well, I said what I said. He's not correct. Why should men face the full wrath of the law? Um, women need to be beaten to be kept in line. And he actually says, when I watched the video clip, he actually said, um, in fact, it's a, it shows love when you beat your wife, because if you didn't beat your wife, it's showing that you don't care about her and you, you continue to let her do wrong things. But you, she's not a child. And even then, you shouldn't even be beating children. But, you know, if you're talking about disciplining someone, your wife is not the person that you should be disciplining. I did. It's just so normalized domestic violence in certain cultures. And this is, you know, across cultures. I'm not just saying Africa here. I'm just saying across cultures, domestic violence is so normalized and that really needs to stop. So they obviously dragged him for filth. He got cussed out within an inch of his life. And then he came out with this public, um, this personal statement, this public statement. Um, I guess it's meant to be an apology. He said, Right Honourable Speaker and Honourable Colleagues, pursuant to Rule 54 of our Rules of Procedure, I make this statement regarding my comments, which have since caused public unease and have even caused anger to many. For the avoidance of doubt, may I at the onset affirm my highest respect for the dignity of women and my unwavering faith in the inviolability uh, of women. I actually detest all forms of violence against women. Kindly accept my most sincere and unreserved apologies, honourable members and the general public, and more particularly the women. This, uh, this apology is unconditional. On the particular video in question, while I never meant to condone violence against women, it is still not my intention to further strain the matter by making unnecessary justifications. I celebrate women who are the pillars of our society and the custodians of our national cohesion and togetherness. Right, honourable speaker and honourable colleagues, I speak. I seek your under, um, understanding and I earnestly pray that you and all members of the public accept my sincere apolo uh, apology. I, re I reiterate my unshakable faith in the dignity of women. I am totally against gender-based violence, especially against women. And this is to tell the world and my colleagues that any form of violence against women should strongly be resisted. Mr. Speaker, with the greatest humility, I take this opportunity to withdraw altogether the unfortunate statement. Why this guy's a dickhead is because I just want to take you back to one point where he says, on the particular video in question, while I never meant to condone violence against women, it is still not my intention to further strain the matter by making unnecessary justifications. So that means that he still believes in what he said, as far as I'm concerned. But he's just like, you know what? All you bitches are angry and I can't be bothered to try and explain to you why a woman needs to take two licks upside her head because you bitches don't get it. OK, so I'm just going to say that I withdraw my statement because it was obviously too high of an intellect for you idiots. That's all I got from his stupid apology because he said it with such vim. He said it with such, such vroom that, you know, oh. And you know your wife, you have to touch her, you have to tackle her, you have to beat her sometimes to streamline her. And he said it, you could see in his eyes, the way his eyes were glistening, like someone who proper, proper enjoys getting home on a Friday night and fly kicking his wife in her head. Like, I, I'm just so 
disgusted by the fact that it could be so normalized and he could feel so confident to go on TV and say that. I, I really want him to lose his posi- position. That's what he deserves. I feel like that's what should be done to him. Whoever needs to fire him should fire him. That's what should happen. So that's my So You Mad, that nonsense that he had to say. Now jumping to straw of the week. Straw of the week, it seems like a, it seems like a theme, you know? I cast the university last week, Nottingham Trent, and now I'm back this week to cast Demontha University, or as I like to call them, De Pussy Clarks, or also Demont Fail. Demontha University of Leicester is some bullshit, and they're racist and they're dickheads. Why? Because Elizabeth Sawyer, a black student who goes to that university, reported to them that um, two white girls that she knowed um, made some racial slurs um, towards her. They allegedly investigated this and their conclusion was that it's complex, you know, because they were friends with her and, um, you know, they fell out and they said what they said, basically let it go. Only then, a few days later, the two girls now made allegations against her saying that they basically feared for their safety because, you know, threats had been made towards them based on the racial things that they had said and so they suspended Elizabeth they suspended her but they didn't suspend the girls like the two white girls got to stay in school so obviously you know that I was just there dragging the fuck out of De Montfort University because they deserved it and I'm tired of black students at universities being treated like second-class citizens. Like you're paying all of this money to go there and they're just treating you anyhow. So, um, De Montfort University, they released a statement. It says here, um, I want to make sure I read the right bit. Yes, yeah, so this was a statement that De Montfort University put on Twitter after they were getting dragged to pieces. Allegations of racist behaviour were made against two students at De Montfort University last month in respect of an incident that took place off campus. But all three, this is, I'm going to keep pausing. All, whether it happened off campus or not, this is how you guys have been um, very, very aggressive in your racism. Whether it happened off campus or not, all of these, all three of these students are your motherfucking students and it's been brought to your attention. So for you to go, ah, well, it happened off campus. That don't mean shit. So does it need to happen in the lecture hall for you to give a shit? That's ridiculous. So they go, oh, um, in respect of the incident that took place off campus in a social environment between students who at the time were friends. That also pissed me off because I've been friends. I've even dated a number of people that you realized later that they're out and out racists. You realize. And then when you realize that they're racist, you cut them the fuck off. And you might not realize straight away because they don't always say the things straight away. They wait to get a bit comfortable and then they go, ha, 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 ha. Don't you think black people look like monkeys? And then you have to fuck them up. So where them being friends has nothing to do with the allegations. And I just feel like they were finding ways to undermine this black girl. So the university will not uh, tolerate discrimination, harassment or bullying of any kind. We therefore immediately launched a full investigation into the matter. What emerged from this investigation was a complex set of circumstances. The outcomes of the investigation were closed in writing to the complainant. A separate serious allegation has more recently been reported, which is the subject of an urgent investigation. Oh, so when it involves white girls and their tears is suddenly urgent. 
Since the investigation into this incident is ongoing, we cannot disclose further information. So why did you fucking mention it then? Why did you come on Twitter and the internet to come and talk about something that you can't talk about? Why? You should have just kept your stupid mouth shut. So we appreciate this is a highly sensitive issue, but we have to respect confidentiality in this matter and ensure we follow due and fair process. Well, you're not following due and fair process. You're chatting shit. We are in regular contact with all involved and will continue to be in regular contact with them and offer them our full support. So that's what they posted. And it is absolute bullshit because it, it doesn't, it doesn't say anything. It re- literally doesn't say anything. It's just like, yeah, black girl complained. We looked at it and we were just like, mm, bitch, shush. And then the white girls complained and we're like, well, damn, we've got to do something about it now because we don't want the white girls to be angry. Like, did we all not pay the same student fees um, to be here? Did we not all pay the same tuition fees to be in this crusty fucking university? So why is their presence more valued than mine? Why? And this is what universities don't want to talk about. The institutionalized racism. That means that the things that happen to black people while they're at universities simply brushed under the carpet until it takes the social media. Suddenly when it went on social media, they had to start thinking carefully about what the fuck they were doing. Same with what happened at Nottingham Trent. If the girl hadn't put the um, video on the internet, Nottingham Trent would have kept quiet because the universities ultimately don't care about black bodies and they don't care about black students, black female students. And that's terrible. Um, Elizabeth denies any uh, um, allegations of any abusive or offensive language being said or threats being made against the individuals who complained. She said, I have been doing this the proper way through official means so the situation can be handled correctly. And the university has um, suspended me because the two racist white girls feel scared and intimidated by seeing me. So now they're making sure the black students are not going to retaliate. So I've been suspended until further notice. I'm so angry because if I wanted to threaten them or fight, I would have fought since February. And they're making the black students look aggressive when this is not the case at all. And this is what I need everybody to understand because Elizabeth said it like a real G. Yeah. If I wanted to boss your clock, I would have done it from February. That's what they fail to understand. This this threat of imminent danger or whatever the fuck you're claiming. If Elizabeth wanted, if the black girls I know, if they wanted to done your dance, they would have done your dance from early. They wouldn't be waiting until they wouldn't go through official channels and then come for you. They would have dealt with you at the point where they needed to deal with you. But in both situations still, what happened at Nottingham Trent? What's happening at De Montfort? Both black girls use official channels to report the violations that they had suffered and the universities chose to ignore it until it took to social media. And this one, now that they've suspended her, my whole thing is that we don't know exactly what transpired between Elizabeth and these two white girls. But my whole thing is that like, if Elizabeth needs to get suspended, then every motherfucker needs to get suspended. They should have, all all three of them should have been suspended. That's how it should have been handled. If anybody's going to get suspended, that's just how it should have been. But that's not what was done. Instead, Elizabeth suspended and the white girls get to stay because white fragility, white feminine fragility will always win. And and I have a major, major problem with that. So if you want to do anything, 
anything. All you white allies that say that you like listening to my podcast and kiki keen and ha ha ha. I love having you here. If you want to do something, go and tweet at DeMontfort University and let them know that as a white woman or as a white man, you are outraged by their behavior. Let them know because the more white voices that they hear in support of this girl, the more seriously they'll take it. Because unless you guys say something for some reason, they don't hear none. So do it. So that was De Montfort, but I feel like there's something in the water of all of these universities because then we jump to America and we're having the same issue. So just bringing it up here. So two black students got suspended for posting a video of a white classmate saying the N-word. The reason that this came about was because um, they were all talking about the school walkouts ever since you know, the shooting that happened, um, the Parkland school shooting, um, that happened, what, about a month ago, which is horrendous. And I don't understand how you can, children are being killed in schools. They're being shot in schools. Yet you don't see a need to, to come up with more stricter gun, gun laws. You don't see a need for that. Anyway, these two black students, um, they go to a North Carolina high school. They were having a discussion over Wednesday's national school walkout and it quickly turned into like a racist back and forth. Um, on, um, let me get to the point where, so they were, no, I don't want to talk about that bit. They were handing, they gave them the school, blah, 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 blah. Yes. So one of the girls she, um, Kamani Harris Jackson, she's 15 years old. Um, and she's a sophomore at the high school. She said, um, she was posting in Snapchat about gun reform. Um, after other students started saying that they don't understand why there needs to be gun reform and they don't understand why there should be any walkouts and anything like that. Everyone should stay in school. And even the school threatened them that if anybody did walk out, that they would get a 10 day suspension, which is ludicrous to me and, and a way of the school infringing on your rights. You should be able to walk out because you should be able to let the government know that you don't want to get shot just because you went to school. So um, someone posted on the Snapchat about how the walkout would be stupid and how without guns, we wouldn't have any of the stuff we have today and we are wasting our time walking out. That's what um, Kamani said that someone said on Snapchat. So they're all doing their higgy hagger on Snapchat. Now we can clearly see that whoever said that statement is a white person because they said um, Without guns, we wouldn't have any of the stuff we have today. And that's genuinely true. The worst thing that ever happened to mankind was white people discovering gunpowder. Nayira Wahid says it, and I'm saying it now, because that is when all the fuckeries really went up a notch. Slave trade, colonialism, everything started rolling. Everything aguan, all of the wars just became worse and worse and worse. The moment they discovered that gunpowder, everything turned into a matting. So he's very right. And I, I just get a feeling that it's a he, but it could very well be a she. Um, but yeah, um, you're saying we wouldn't have anything that we have. And that's true. You wouldn't have been able to steal America from the, you wouldn't have been able to steal that native land from the Native Americans. You wouldn't have been able to do that if you didn't have gunpowder and also your diseases that you went to go and give them. So totally agree. Totally agree that yeah, you wouldn't have them. And that's more of a reason why the motherfucking guns need to be taken away from you because you're doing too damn much. So 
She said, Kamani just said, then said that she then posted on a sna- her Snapchat story saying that people like herself weren't trying to take guns away, but that she wanted more restrictions on who could buy them. She said that she had a few white students who identified as conservatives and they kept going back and forth and debating it on their Snapchat stories. Anyway, a white female student then recorded her friend who's also white, same, um, you know, they all go to the same high school. She made a, a Snapchat and they was filmed in a car and then she said they're putting laws on who can purchase guns no nigger why was the nigger needed why is it that we, we we come back to this thing time and time again why are white people so obsessed with the word nigger well we invented it okay but now if someone calls you something you'll start crying you'll start crying you don't need to use the word but you're clearly using the word in retaliation to what Kamani has said in her Snapchat video. But anyway, Kamani got hold of this video along with another black girl and they posted it, I think on Twitter or wherever they posted it. And so more people could see it. And they were like, look, this is the, this is the racial slurs we're receiving for saying that we need to have gun reform. So we're not all getting shot up in schools, black and white students. We're not all getting killed at school. The school suspended Kamani and her friend for this video because they were like, well, yeah, you shouldn't have posted it, but I'm not the one saying the racial slur. So why shouldn't I have posted it? But you know what? Even though this situation's fucked up, do you know what I appreciate about it? The girls got two days out of school suspension. The two white girls, the one who recorded it and the one who made, who said nigger and that she doesn't want gun reform. They both got out of school suspension. So they need to stay in their yard. They need to stay home and rethink their lives. But Kamani and her friend, they got two days in school suspension. So I imagine that's like they're at school, but they don't get to be in their usual classes. Why I like that is because although it's fucked up, everybody got suspended. Everybody got suspended. In the situation with Elizabeth at De Montfort, only Elizabeth got suspended. And 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 that's, look how backwards America is on when it comes to having these talks about race and the things that are done to black people in America. Yet, even they could be like, hmm, you know what? Let's suspend everyone. Um, and these ones can stay at home and these ones stay at school. I don't know the benefits of either, but as far as I'm concerned, at least everybody got suspended. You might say, oh, they didn't deserve to get suspended. But at the end of the day, they put the girl's, um, you know, identity. And because she's a minor as well, they've put her identity on the internet and whatever else. And they're receiving all of this abuse and whatever else. So yeah, you might say that there are grounds to suspend them too. But all I appreciate is that everybody got suspended. But that doesn't mean that I approve of what this school has done. I know that there's a school called Beachside, I think it's in Brighton or is it in Bath that um, I'll get to that next week, but they were doing some fuckeries as well um, when there was a pretend slave auction and the white students, the white children were pretending to whip the black child and they got sent away from school and they got brought back and whatever else. Anyway, all I'm trying to say is that all of the schools are moving wild and I don't understand why they're doing so, but definitely for De Montfort, as well as this school in um, North Carolina, 
you're all very, very useless. Like you're all very, very useless. And all of these straws that you see in front of me, I want you to take them. And in fact, I'll get you some more straws. I need you to take them all in abundance and use them to suck your forefathers and your foremothers. Suck your mothers. That's what you all need to do. Demontha, aka the pussy clots, aka Demont fail. You deserve all of the straws. And actually the straws match your colors because you're red and white and the straws are red and white. So you, I need you to use them vigorously like the lion that's in your your little emblem and use it to just suck your mother dry wherever she may be and that's it for this week of sym officially known as say your mind and unofficially known as what what suck your mom yes um we got there it was a lot it was a jam-packed episode but i hope you appreciate all of the bits that we had to talk about thank you so much for listening i have been kelechi okafor and if you want to follow me follow me on at kelechnikoff or at say your mind pod and um like i said big up yourself marielle franco we appreciate you rest in power sandra bland rest in power and national geographic well done for not being pussy class all of your entire lives i mean it only took you what 200 years well done and like i said with six of swords you're making transitions or you're going to travel and finding new things for yourself trust in what you're doing you'll be great you'll do fine and that's it for this week peace it's the Benz Brunani woman is baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this. Happy sit down, sit down, receive this realness. Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are go sipping yo. Hard time scrolling for your long shorts. You might learn something you never know. let you find, and she's one of a kind. Don't say you mind, say you mind.